Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Jason Schulman. We've got a great show for you today. My guest is Adam Furziger, who teaches at Bar Ilan University. Here to talk about his new book, Beyond Sectarianism, The Realignment of American Orthodox Judaism, published in 2015 by Wayne State University Press. Adam, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's great to have you. So, Adam, I want to start, uh, as the book does, with Charles Liebman, uh, a social scientist who, in 1965, sort of changed the way we think about Orthodox Judaism in America. Uh, what was the view of Orthodoxy before Liebman, uh, and, and what did Liebman have to say, and is his view still dominant today? That's a great question, Jason. So, uh, Liebman was a fascinating individual. He grew up in the Midwest, uh, then uh, taught at Yeshiva University before he eventually uh, made Aliyah, uh, immigrated to Israel, and was an Israel Prize winner himself. Um, and died, uh, unfortunately, from a heart attack at the age of 70. Very wonderful man, very thoughtful, critical, um, and uh, a path, uh, really a path-breaking social scientist. And I had the privilege of studying f- with him and um, from his many books. Anyway, so Liebman, um, in the 1960s, l- took a look at uh, what people were saying about Orthodox Judaism. And he saw that... Uh, most academics who looked at the Orthodox community assumed that it was just a, a dwindling remnant of the immigrant, immigrant generations, that these were people who were somehow were holding on to something from the shtetl, from the, uh, their European uh, origins. And um, in America, it just couldn't uh, hold water, couldn't last. So uh, it was just a question of time before they would disappear. The future, certainly the religious future of American Jews were, was uh, at that time most likely looked at through the uh, conservative movement and possibly in, in the reform movement, the reconstructionist movements, but certainly not the orthodox. And Liebman um, knew that literature, but then he started doing uh, uh, studies and, 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 and seeing what was going on and and uh, statistics and uh, interviews and literature and looking at institutions, synagogues and, and schools, camps, etc. And he reached really the opposite conclusion. He reached the conclusion that the Orthodox uh, population in America in the 1960s was growing stronger, was quite vibrant, and that it, it uh, had a, a very strong future ahead uh, for it. And there's no question that when we look at the Pew Report, for example, from 2013, that uh, he was correct. Um, so uh, that was his basis. If you want to talk, to talk more, I can explain a little bit about um, the perception that he went on and developed in terms of the different groups within orthodoxy. Um, but that's the starting point. Yeah, that's let's let's let me let me ask you about that. Um, one of his sort of theoretical arguments involves the church-sect dichotomy. Um, maybe you can tell us about that and how it applies to the Orthodox. Sure, for sure. So just one one um, important point, which is that um, Liebman did recognize that there were Jews who fit into the categories that some of his peers or some of his own mentors, people like uh, Professor, Marshall's, uh, Professor Marshall Sclair from uh, Brandeis University and others um, had pointed to when they when they talked about this dying remnant. He referred to them as folk Orthodox people who weren't particularly intellectual, weren't particularly educated, hadn't really uh, developed any sort of uh, conscious, positive approach to living an Orthodox life in um, America. 
Um, but we're just continuing out of road, so to speak, to follow the ways of their uh, immigrant parents. And he, he agreed that those people probably wouldn't sustain the uh, lifestyle that they were that they were living. Certainly their children wouldn't. Um, Jeffrey Gurak, who's a very important scholar who's at Yeshiva University now, uh, has referred an article to these people as the non-observant Orthodox. And he uh, argued that until early the early 1960s, most Orthodox synagogues in the United States were populated primarily by Jews who were non-observant. We can get back to that subject um, later on in the discussion because I think it is an important one for thinking about contemporary issues. Regarding Liebman and his dichotomy, so he didn't make up this dichotomy. Um, um, <clears throat> Max Weber, the one of the founding fathers of modern sociology, um, when he was looking at, at Christianity and the evolution of Christianity, he talked about two um, formulations or typologies for how religious groups develop. Um, he talked about a sect and a church. And he said generally... Um, Religious groups uh, start as sect, as sects. They split off uh, socially from the a dominant mainstream environment. They generally take a select group of people who agree on theology, on lifestyle, on culture. Um, what 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 we refer to today as uh, a type of egalitarian society, not egalitarian in the way that we talk about feminism. Egalitarian in the sense that Everybody is on the same level. Everybody um, is is performing uh, religion, observing, etc. on the same level. If you want to look at uh, examples from the ancient uh, Near East, so if you look at, let's say, the Dead Sea sector, the sect in Qumran in, in, uh, the, uh, in the Judean desert, they would be uh, a classic sect. In any case, so one group is a sect. Another group is usually is a group that develops later uh, at a later point in a religious history is what's called what he referred to as a, what Weber referred to as a church. And a church is a much more um, uh, a bigger structure. It's a structure that has a bureaucracy. It has leadership. It has clear, um, uh, clear people who are at the top. It's a hierarchical type of um, structure. And what what. Um, what Liebman said is that um, as religions develop, eventually you can't have this egalitarian type of framework, but rather you're going to have leadership, you're going to have people who are doing the ideals, who are observing on the highest level, who are often the priesthood um, or the rabbis. Um, but that r organized religions, when they become mass religions, um, become more inclusive. And uh, certainly that was the way things went with the, uh, the various Christian denominations where they have to accept a broader group of uh, of, of population um, and and therefore have a hierarchy of who's performing the uh, religion on the highest level and those people who are on uh, not doing it in an ideal way, but nonetheless have a space. So Liebman, what Liebman did, Jason, is that he took this typology and he applied it to American orthodoxy in the 1960s. And he said that there were two groups, basically, that you could be dis distinguished um, according to this typology. One group, which he referred to as the sectarian orthodox, um, he, what, he, um, what he, he was referring to, what we call today Haredi orthodoxy, namely people who sometimes referred to as ultra-orthodox, yeshivish, Hasidish people who um, 
um, are in that category are what he what he referred to as sectarian, as opposed to the church orthodox, which is colloquially generally referred to as the modern orthodox. And um, Liebman said that if you use these distinctions, we can really learn a lot about the two groups, not the folk orthodox, but rather the engaged groups. Both these groups are engaged. Both these groups are educated. Both these groups are uh, performing uh, Judaism in an active way. Nonetheless, they have very different world views. Now, following Weber, Weber um, what uh, Liebman said is that um, the most basic distinction between a sectarian group and a, uh, a church-like uh, structure is how they relate to people who are different than the ideal. Sectarians close themselves off. They create all sorts of boundaries to protect themselves, to um, prevent infiltration by people who are different than them. They see the outside world as, as scary. They see themselves, for example, if you talk about the Dead Sea sect, as the, the uh, people of the light as opposed to the people of darkness. Um, and uh, that he perceived the Haredim in America or the sectarian Orthodox in America as really developing along those lines, living geographically in, in enclaves, cutting themselves off intellectually, culturally, um, and socially as much as possible from American society, and not only Ameri general American non-Jewish society, but broader Jewish societies. They saw the Jews would come, uh, okay, we'll, 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 we'll stop there for a second. On the other side, the modern Orthodox or the church Orthodox being people who are more inclusive, people who um, developed synagogues uh, uh, and uh, schools and, and camps and all sorts of frameworks, organizations, which allowed for greater diversity. They had a certain standard. They certainly expected their rabbis to meet that standard. They educated kids towards a certain standard, but they recognized that there was room for more diversity. And they also, many of them were willing to cooperate with those who were um, clearly non-Orthodox, meaning conservative reform, etc., for common uh, um, common good. Now, just one more point before I, before I uh, uh, open up to your follow-up question, which is that um, in terms of immigrations, there was a difference Liebman pointed to a, um, uh, between these two groups. Namely, the church Orthodox or modern Orthodox had the roots in the great immigrations of millions and millions of Eastern European Jews at the end of the turn of the 20th century, at the end of the 19th century, until about 1924, when there were um, uh, limitations put on immigration. And these were Jews who came to America because they saw it as the uh, golden Medina, as the golden land. They saw it as a land of economic opportunity. They were running away from uh, persecution. They were intent on making America work. And just like their non-observant or non-Orthodox brethren, they saw integration into America as a positive element as something that, that was very good. And they differed in that they thought that they could integrate into America in a way which would not mean compromising their faith and their um, commitments. Um, and they tried to create institutions, synthetic institutions like Yeshiva University, like the Young Israel Synagogue Movement, like the Day School Movement, that would facilitate this type of synthetic Judaism. The, 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 the uh, sectarians, or the Haredim, 
for the most part, said Liebman, came around World War II a little bit before or, or during and after. They were refugees. They were people who didn't want to come to Europe previously, to come to America previously, because they believed that America wasn't the golden of Medina. It was the trefa Medina. It was the unkosher country. And therefore, they, they were convinced they would lose their faith there. Um, they had no choice after uh, when Hitler came into power, when uh, Jews uh, lost their legitimacy uh, to live as um, citizens in many of the countries of Europe or their families and communities were destroyed. They made their way to wherever they could get to. They came to America, but they said America is dangerous and we have to create uh, guards. We have to uh, build fortresses so that we will be able to sustain ourselves in this very complex society where so many Jews seem to lose their commitment to Judaism, and they created their institutions and leadership, etc., with that sort of outlook in mind. That's a great setup um, to think about. So the, the sects are about maintaining distance, um, that, that's sort of the ultra-Orthodox, the, the church is more inclusive, um, it's hierarchical, it's open to other Jews, uh, that's the modern Orthodox. What happens in the 1980s? What, what is the realignment? So just one more point about the, the, the before we get to that 1980s, which is that um, uh, we'll use an institution, which today is a very important one, just as a, as a, as a good illustration of, of the ultimate sort of sectarian outlook. Uh, people are very familiar with Hasidism, and you could look to enclaves, let's say, in, in the uh, Rockland County area, New Square or Kiryas Yoel, as being... Uh, 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 particularly uh, sectarian types of environments, which are really egalitarian in the way they perceive uh, their, uh, uh, their 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 population, and therefore a person like uh, uh, the very well-known author now Shulam Dean, who uh, had uh, alternative thoughts, had, eventually was thrown out of New Square. He didn't have a place there. There's an article this week, um, I believe, in, in Tablet by him. Um, it's a pretty well-known guy. In any case. Um, uh, the uh, the Lakewood Yeshiva, though, or what is what is officially called Beth Medrash Gavoha, was started in 1943 by Rav Aaron Cutler, a very important Yeshiva head, who made his way uh, uh, from Eastern Europe, from uh, from uh, Poland to the United States, and in 1943 started Yeshiva with a few students. Um, very quickly, he left Westchester because it was too diverse, and he founded a, 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 put a, a, a yeshiva in Lakewood, New Jersey, which was like chicken farming country. And he did so because he wanted to create a pure environment. He wanted to create an environment where, in a place where there was no um, um, intense and um, and critical mass of of, of Jewish uh, Jew, uh, type of Jewish community, not re- reform conservative and not even Orthodox. There were some Orthodox Jews there who were supportive, but it was a very small and uh, not significant, insignificant community. And he specifically created that community, which would be far enough away from New York so it wouldn't be polluted, so to speak, but close enough, I suppose, so that his, his students could go on dates, his students could be within distance of these were for the most part in, in the New York era. And there are other examples of that. Now, what happened, uh, you ask, in the 1980s? 1980s, uh, by the 1980s, um, the the, uh, sectarians or the Haredim um, are not so um, insecure anymore. They are not worried about disappearing. After the Holocaust, they just wanted to 
uh, have a renaissance. They just wanted to replenish themselves. They just wanted to uh, reestablish uh, the yeshivas or, or the types of yeshivas that they'd had in Europe. They were sort of memorializing their past or, 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 or even um, celebrating that past through their, their very existence. Um, there were always exceptions to the rule. For example, the Lubavitch Hasidic sect, the Chabadnikim, who um, from the outset believed that they had to engage broader uh, American Judaism. But, um, Ju- um, but uh, that was not the case for most of the, uh, uh, the Haredim. In the 1980s, um, there's an, uh, the beginnings of a, of a sense of we're, we're here to stay. We're pretty established. We need to start to expand. And um, when it comes to uh, the, the Haredi world, um, that manifested itself in starting to create sort of um, uh, um, uh, outgrowths or, 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 or um, um, emissaries to send people out to other parts of uh, America where there were Orthodox communities, but there weren't really ultra-Orthodox or Haredi communities, and to try to strengthen, so to speak, or to uh, to give what, what they say in Hebrew, chizuk, to strengthen these communities and make them more um, uh, oriented towards the yeshivish or Hasidish, depending on the group, type of, of, of lifestyle. Um, um, simultaneously, and it, it really it comes a little bit later, but simultaneously, the modern Orthodox, who really believed very that their way, their synthetic way was ideal, are starting to become a little bit more insecure about their way as they see a lot of their children going off to college and being very successful um, uh, professionally and economically, intellectually, etc., but not necessarily reproducing synthetic lifestyle, the ideal lifestyle that their that their parents um, consider to be um, 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 so uh, so fruitful, and um, you see a process where some of the modern Orthodox start to reevaluate and um, look to the Haredim and say, "Hey, well, maybe you've got it right," and um, um, they start to um, adopt some of the strict interpretations of the law. They start to um, uh, Think about things like having uh, separate male-female in um, education because that seems to be maybe more effective at maintaining. Um, is there an internet? Is the internet okay? Lou, Lou, yeah, still here, still here. Okay, um, I lost. All right, okay, um, okay. I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop for one second. Okay, so um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, I'm not sure. Um, I think it might be on your end, but um, maybe can you just go back to um, simultaneously right. and talk so about the mon- modern Orthodox? The modern right, so, Orthodox start okay, to so give me, um, uh, sorry, give me, more, give me one uh, second. Secure, uh, Hold on, to, are you with me? Give, me? give me one second. Okay, sure. Okay, the time is 1925. Okay, you ready? Um, yeah, as soon... Um, Go, go ahead. Start from simultaneously. Okay. So the, the simultaneous with the uh, strengthening or the sense of renewed um, security or self-confidence or someone even say triumphalism of the Haredi world, the uh, modern Orthodox start to become uh, a little bit less secure. They see their own children who go off to college and, uh, and 
graduate schools or gain uh, tremendous success professionally, economically, socially, intellectually. Nonetheless, many of those children are not as engaged or not as committed to the synthetic lifestyle of their parents. I think we're having trouble again. Um, I, I can hear you. Hello? Um, hold on, I'm going to... Okay, so I'm going to keep going, but it, it, it does say internet connection problem here, but I'll, I'll just keep going. In any case... Wait, uh, sorry, sorry. Hold on one second. Sorry. The, I can, um, I, one, another can thing me? that happens, and this is... Sorry, I can, can you hold on totally. one second? Sure. Oh, you can? Okay, sure. so give me one second. I'll just note the time. Um, okay, I'm not sure what the issue is, but we'll we'll fix this. All right, the time is 21:02. Okay, sorry. Me just just take it from simultaneously once more, and then uh, just keep, more, just keep going. Okay. So all right, here we go. Simultaneous with the um, uh, renewed sense sense of uh, strength and security, and maybe even triumphalism of the Haredi community, the modern Orthodox start to demonstrate signs of being a little bit uh, insecure, a little bit uh, fearful for their own futures and uh, the sense that they're not succeeding in reproducing the the uh, synthetic lifestyle that they thought that they could uh, that they had idealized. Um, they see their children being very successful intellectually, professionally, uh, culturally, uh, in, in, in socially, but nonetheless, not necessarily wanting to uh, reproduce the same type of lifestyle. And um, another thing that happens, which is interesting, is that um, they begin to, so they begin to look to the Haredim and say, wow, that they're, they, they seem to be very successful. Maybe we should be adopting some of their, uh, some of their outlook. Um, another thing that happens is that uh, we have the new trend of kids going to Israel for the year to study in uh, Israeli yeshivot. And there, they're they're exposed to a more total, uh, uh, um, a holistic type of uh, Jewish education and uh, Jewish religious environment. And 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 some of those uh, people, uh, for those kids from modern Orthodox homes, choose to move to Israel because they look at that as an ability to live like a total Jewish life. Others return back to the United States, and when they go to the United States, they they look at their modern Orthodox mother institutions, synagogues, rabbis, etc., and they um, start to question, well, maybe this doesn't really work. And um, they're more educated, they're more dedicated to Talmud study, they're, they have higher standards of um religious observance, and uh, quite a few of the children of um, committed uh, modern Orthodox families choose to move to a more right-wing or a more Haredi or a more separatist type of lifestyle. So that's something that begins in the 1980s, and it's not something that has ended, uh, but the 1980s <clears throat> is when you see the beginnings of, of, of a change in the dynamic where uh, <clears throat> The Haredim seem to be strengthening and expanding, whereas the modern Orthodox seem to be moving more towards insulating themselves, towards <coughs> excuse me, protecting themselves from the um, apparent dangers of, of 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 society. 
So if the uh, Haredi or ultra-Orthodox Jews are more interested in outreach, Kiruv, and the modern Orthodox are more interested in um, inward-looking, does that mean that, you know, the two have sort of switched, um, you know, what was once a church was, is now a sect and vice versa, or is it, is it, um, is that too simplistic? Is it more of a blurring of lines? Well, I, w- I would never tell anyone that they're being too simplistic, but I think it's a good way to ask the question. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we skipped a step, which is that towards the end of the 1980s, 1990s, there, that's when we start to see the Haredim not just engaging the modern Orthodox community in a more profound manner, but rather expanding their horizons to the non-Orthodox communities um, and the non-observant. And we see the proliferation of these uh, cottage uh, sort of communities in in places where there were never Haredim before, starting in Atlantic Georgia uh, and in uh, uh, Houston, Texas, Dallas, and moving on to Palo Alto, Kansas City, uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio, each each place has a different trajectory. But if in the 1970s and early 80s, the expansion of the Haredi community was to places like Chicago, Toronto, Detroit, Los Angeles, by the late 1980s, early 1990s, we're looking at a much broader spectrum of communities and with a focus not so much on engaging the modern Orthodox and, and strengthening their commitment, but rather um, engaging with Reformed Jews. And, and, and here is where this my research sort of um, uh, began to tell me that what Liebman saw is not the reality today, where you see uh, millions and millions of dollars, uh, huge amounts of, of manpower and, and, and uh, training going into creating Haredi Jews very in great parallels to the Chabad movement, who their professional trajectory and their whole um, uh, focus is how to educate, how to um, come into contact, how to be positive influencers, have a positive influence on the broader uh, American Jewish community, specifically the unaffiliated, which according to the Pew study is the largest expanding group in American Jewry today. Um, so reg- regarding your specific question, so you, 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 my book really demonstrates that there is this uh, flip a little bit where the Haredim who are sectarian, who are so insular, have become more open and more willing to uh, come into contact and to uh, have uh, developed relationships with the broad Jewish community, whereas the modern Orthodox who were predicated on this church structure of being inclusive and working in concert. And some of the chapters of my book, for example, talk about the Soviet Jewry movement um, and how in the Soviet Jewry movement there was so much partnership and non-judgmental partnership between the modern Orthodox and the uh, other uh, uh, segments of American Jewry, whereas the Haredim would not in any way, shape or form uh, participate or cooperate with those types of efforts for a variety of reasons, of course. Um, here we see sort of a, a, an inversion. Nonetheless, and I, I think you realize that, and this is very important to say, we're not talking about a uh, sort of black and white. We're talking about, and that's why I called my, my book a, Beyond Sectarianism, the realignment of American Orthodox Judaism. I don't think that 
there, there's plenty of sectarianism left in America, in American Haredi Jewry. There are plenty of enclaves. There are plenty of places where um, the type of uh, Judaism that uh, Liebman described in the 60s has only expanded and, and flourished and, and people with uh, uh, very little contact with the uh, broader Jewish community or the outside world. Nonetheless, there is far greater openness to uh, connecting with other Jews. There is much more investment of time, of, of, of money, manpower, etc. And um, as, as I point out in the book, um, even if you have, let's say, a Haredi family that has seven children, only one or two of them are in the outreach Kirov movement, um, nonetheless, they will... Um, they, they, these things trickle down because uh, you go to Houston, Texas for your nephew's bar mitzvah, you attend a wedding, you get the literature, you're in touch. Uh, uh, the Internet has had a very strong effect. All these different uh, have websites. Um, they also have to compromise their own halachic standards in order to be willing to, to, to be able to engage the greater Jewish public. There are Haredi community kollels that have golf tournaments, that have Super Bowl parties, that have all sorts of, event, of uh, events, and um, they have a lot more uh, mixing of the of of the uh, men and women in order to uh, attract people to their programming. So all sorts of uh, things which um, were not acceptable in the Haredi community are now acceptable in the name of outreach. Um, and uh, somewhat ironically, the modern Orthodox are actually uh, uh, striving, at least quite a few of them, not all of them. There's a, there, are, there are certainly modern Orthodox communities that are, as Jay Lefkowitz said two years ago in a very profound article, socially Orthodox and really not particularly ideological or um, fervently observant. But there is a, a, a significant mainstream contingent, which certainly has very strong representation in the modern Orthodox, modern Orthodoxy's banner institution, Yeshiva University, which trains most modern Orthodox rabbis, or certainly did until recently, um, in which um, the, the, the direction is always towards greater stringency and towards striving towards those um, ideal types of, 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 of values and, and observances which were once associated with the Haredi community. So it is not that they're flipping, it's not that they're on, uh, ex- exchanging positions, but there is a realignment and the uh, dichotomy that Liebman developed, while it's very instructive and interesting, it doesn't reflect the realities of American orthodoxy today. There is a much stronger middle ground. In my book, which I, I see that you've read, if you look at the last chapter, the concluding chapter, there's there's really interesting um, citations that I bring where where major representatives of the Haredi community acknowledge that the spectrum of orthodoxy, as far as they're concerned, is um, is is much wider. Where Avi Shafran, the the the, the spokesman for the Agudath Israel of America. Um, organization says that as far as he's concerned, the people who are included in the spectrum of orthodoxy that he recognizes run from the Lit- Lithuanian Yeshiva Bachrim from Lakewood to the Hasidish um, graduates of a Sadmar institution to the people associated with the Chabad movement to uh, the graduates of Yeshiva University. Um, and all of them are part of the orthodox spectrum, which is sort of a, a middle ground. 
the group that he leaves out, and maybe you want to talk about that if there's still time, is the what's known as the open orthodox, which is sort of a backlash to this move to the right among the modern orthodox, which has been led by Rabbi Avi Weiss and people associated with his Yeshivat Chovvei Torah and um, and Yeshivat Maharat for women, and and that um, more um, moderate or liberal, I would say liberal is a better word, liberal backlash. Um, has uh, uh, caused a, a coalescence, has been part of what has caused this realignment or certainly a coalescence of the, I guess, the right wing of the modern Orthodox and the uh, non-radical Haredim, where they find that with this common enemy, so to speak, the open Orthodox, the uh, those two other groups have much more in common. If you want to ask about that, I'd be happy to to engage that. There's so much more I'd like to talk about, but we are out of time. Um, Adam, briefly, what are you working on next? It's a wonderful question. Thank you for asking. By the way, um, uh, yes. Um, so I'm working on a, a few different things. Um, uh, we, uh, but the uh, probably the most relevant to this is that um, uh, there's been very little work on the relationship between uh, American Orthodox Jews and Israel in the sense of how uh, American Orthodox Jews ha- influence um, Israel, not from a political perspective, but more from a cultural, intellectual, educational level. Um, and uh, I believe there's a lot of work to be done there. So um, that is going to be, I'm, I'm actually going to be on sabbatical next year. I'm going to be spending some of my time um, as a visiting professor in the College of Charleston in South Carolina. And in terms of my research agenda, that will certainly be number one on the agenda, in addition to some other projects that I have uh, going at this moment. Adam, that sounds like a great project. I want to thank you for being on the show today. The book is Beyond Sectarianism, The Realignment of American Orthodox Judaism, published in 2015 by Wayne State University Press. The author is Adam Furziger. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Very much appreciated. it.